This is my first sermon in front of the church, so uh, it'll either be the best sermon you've ever heard in your whole life, or it'll be a train wreck. So uh, let's see how we go. Hopefully it's somewhere in the middle. But uh, apologies for the shirt as well. I was going to wear a nice formal shirt, but the one I had on, Joe said, no, you're going to get sweat stains in that puppy. Take it off right now. So uh, I listened to the counsel of those wisdom people around me, and uh, here we are. If you've got any issues, take it up with her. Uh, but it is the new year, um, January, of course, and it's a bit tricky to get the sort of grey matter churning after the holidays, so I thought we'd start off with a bit of Bible trivia. I've got some prizes too, some crunchies, so uh, put your thinking caps on. Does anybody know what the first commandment in the Bible was? I'll take a show of hands. Neil. Multiply, no, that wasn't quite the first one, although we did take that literally. Four kids. Anyone else? That's closer to the first one, but it's not the first one. Sorry, what was that down the back? That's the second one. We're getting warmer, very warm. Ray. With all your heart and soul and mind. Well done. All right, number two, Uh, in Ephesians, Paul talks about the armor of God. Does anybody know what piece of armor faith was represented with? Shield, hand down the back. I heard a few whispers, but it's not official unless I see the hand. Oh, oh, look away now. Okay, last one. Does anybody know, this is a bit trickier, I think, uh, how many times the Israelites walked around the walls of Jericho before they fell down? Seven is not correct. It's higher than that. Anybody? I'll go higher and lower if anyone's having trouble. We'll get there eventually. Thirteen, that's right. So they walked around once a day, and then on the seventh day, they walked around seven times. So, uh, hey, that's, that's taking it out. Well done. You guys can share the wealth if you want, or you can hog it all. Uh, but let's just open in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this amazing day. I thank you that we can gather together in your name and learn about you and spend some time dedicated to you and your word. I just pray that the words that I speak would be your words today, Father. Meet each of us in our point of need. Um, Hopefully everyone can come away with something new, Lord, that they've learned about you and new revelation of your goodness and your majesty. I just pray you use, use me for that vessel today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, as I mentioned, it is the start of the year. And it's a good time to kind of review and take stock of where we've been and where we're going. Um, don't know about you guys, but I had a bit of time doing that over the, over the new year. And um, God sort of gave me some verses that I'm going to sort of make pretty central to my walk this year. Some verses to live by this year. And we're going to go through them today. Um, we're going to put it in a bit of context though. So some of these verses, some of the words in them are pretty tricky to actually achieve. Um, And it's probably more of an aspirational and incremental goal that we'll work towards. But um, there was a man who lived about 500 years ago called Brother Lawrence. And he's not one of the giants of the faith. He's not Paul and he's not Augustine. But he was a guy who's um, pretty amazing. He dedicated his life to one thing, and that was practicing the presence of God in his day-to-day life. So it wasn't that he had a devotional time and then he clocked off and went to work. He actually was aware of God's presence 24-7, and it took him about 10 years of practice to get there in the end. Um, He was a monk in a monastery, but at the end of that time, for the next 30 years, he actually was at the point where 
It didn't matter whether he was in his devotional time or working in the monastery's uh, kitchen, washing the dishes and having people yelling at him. It didn't matter where he was. He was equally connected to God. He was equally aware of God's presence in his life. And um, that's a pretty awesome goal. And I think to tackle some of these uh, things that we're going to go through in Proverbs, we need that help. So I'm just going to start by reading Proverbs 3, uh, verses 5 to 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. All right, so if we look at those verses and just break them down a little bit. Um, I've, used, I've brought a word out for each of the four verses. The first one is verse 5, and I've summarized that as faith. So the first half of the verse says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And there's one little three-letter word in there. It's the word all, which takes this verse from pretty easy to tackle to, you know, something you could spend your whole lifetime doing. It's not trust in the Lord with some of your heart or trust in the Lord with a piece of your heart. I don't know where I'm going to put that water. I just think I'll leave it there. Um, it's trust him with all of your heart. And that's a pretty amazing goal to, to work towards. Um, it'll be pretty amazing to be there as Brother, Brother Lawrence did. But um, that's something I'm going to be working on this year. It's uh, very aligned with the first commandment that we covered in the trivia section. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul. It's total commitment. It's not, it's not a partial thing. It's not a devotional time thing. It's every area of your life. Make God the center of that and trust in him with all your heart. It's an alarm clock faith. And by that I mean something God sort of worked on with me towards the end of last year was using him for my alarm clock in the morning rather than an uh, electronic one. And that's much handier in a power cut. Um, day to day in the work life, you know, the kids are going to get up at seven, so it's pretty easy to get in their sort of rhythm where I'm at. But for total alarm clock faith, it's that day when you've got to catch a flight or the day where you've got to be somewhere early. Are you going to rely on God to wake you up on that day as well? Or is that something where you, you'll give him a time and that'll be set, that's sort of where I was at, but I might just set the alarm as well, just as a backup in case there's some sort of uh, spiritual power cut that doesn't wake me up in time. Um, I've actually got a flight coming up in February, so touch base with me in March to see whether I transition down that road far enough to commit. But um, God wants all of our heart. He doesn't want us half in and half out. He doesn't want our focus shared with anything else in the world. He wants all of us. Uh, but this is an aspirational goal. It's not something that we can just sort of flick the switch and achieve all at once. I think it's something you could probably spend your whole lifetime working on. Um, Brother Lawrence mentions in his writings that it took him 10 years of practice before he was at a point where he could be aware of God in his whole life. Um, I think genetically, uh, women have the advantage here in that you can multitask. You can be, I can be talking to Jo, and she's listening to the kids over there, and there's some sort of conversation back there, and she's still got my full attention. But if anyone tries to talk to me while I'm on my phone or whatever, I can't even hear what they're saying. I've got no idea. Kids will be asking. There'll be a fire. Things will be carrying on, and I'll be oblivious to it because I'm concentrating on what I'm doing. But that's not my problem. That's God's problem. And in Brother Lawrence's heart, that's what he achieved. He got him to the point where he was physically capable of being aware of God 24-7. Just one other point on there as well. 
Um, Brother Lawrence makes it as well in his writings. It's the verses in Matthew that Jesus talks about in terms of where your treasure is. So there's two options there. You can have earthly treasure. You can focus on accumulating wealth um, here. Or you can have spiritual wealth. You can have wealth that's actually in heaven because of the priorities that you've given God through your life and the way that you've served him in a way that's honoring to God. And that pretty much translates into this verse as well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's having a heavenly focus rather than an earthly focus. And uh, as we move into the second half of the verse, this is the opposite. Lean not on your own understanding. And that's pretty much my default setting. If there's a problem and I can solve it with my own strength, with the things that God's given me, that's pretty much what I'll do. I'll step up and, and get in there and get my hands dirty and figure it out. But that's not what God wants of us. He wants us to actually trust in Him and to have that gap of faith that we step out into rather than dealing with things and the strengths that He's given us. A good example of that in the Old Testament was David. Um, he was a man who was a soldier pretty much from birth. He was a shepherd. But um, while he was guarding his sheep, there were lions and, and tigers and bears and dinosaurs and stuff that he had to fight off. And um, he did that, he had faith in God, and that's what put him in the place where he could take on Goliath, when the rest of the Israel army was scared. And then when he became a king and had an amazing army that he had built, um, there were valiant men who were famous all through the world. He didn't actually put his faith in those men when he was going into battle against an opposing army. He would always wait until God said, okay, it's time to go now. He waited until God was with him before he entered the battle. And that's exactly this verse, is trusting in God rather than leaning on your own understanding. Sometimes it's difficult to achieve that sort of thing because at the end of the day, God's actually given us talents and abilities, um, things that we're good at. Um, you might be a great salesman or you might um, have a real heart for um, intercessory prayer and, and looking after other people. And if we're working in those situations, we can definitely go into a mode where we're working out of our own strength. We're working out of the things, that, the abilities and the strength that God's given us. But that's not what God wants of us. He wants us to step out in faith and stretch ourselves and leave room for him to bridge the gap between where we can get to and where God wants us to get to. So I guess that's the easiest way if you do feel that you're in a sort of autopilot mode where you're just going through the motions and dealing with stuff. Try to bring some change into your life where you can't actually get there in your own strength. You need God to actually extend that and fill an extra little bit in a, to enable you to get to point B. That will leave room for God to help you. That's what Peter did when he stepped out of the boat. Um, obviously, he had his abilities. He was, a fish, he was a fisherman. He knew the sea. But he said, Lord, can I walk with you on the water? And he did that. God called him forth, and he had the faith to walk somewhere where he'd never be able to walk in his own strength. My final point on that verse was that our Brother Lawrence was really strong when he was going through this process of learning to practice the presence of God. The biggest thing that he worked on was that you can't condemn yourself when you drift. You can't condemn yourself or, or feel bad when you sin, when you drift away. It's a process and all you need to do is just stop and confess your sin and reset and go again. Um, in our own strength, in terms of the fallen people that we are, we're never going to be able to live up to God's standards on our own. And he's aware of that. He created us. But what he wants us to do is continue to strive to get to that next level, to go to 
you know, another few percent of trusting in him. And we don't need to condemn ourselves when we get that wrong. We just need to reset and go again and not give up. We need to persevere. Verse six, in all your ways acknowledge him. There's that little three-letter word again, all. In this verse, once again, it's not something we can really just do. We can't just tick it and say that it's done for the rest of our lives. It's a process that we're going to have to work on a lot. And I think Brother Lawrence, in his life, he actually gives us the key to achieving this. Everything that he did, everything that he lived, was for the love of God that he had in his heart. Whether he was eating or drinking or devotional time or working in the monastery kitchen, everything was for the love of God. That was his motive. That was the why of everything that he was doing. But the beauty of that in this context is that it's also the how. How do you actually live your life so that you acknowledge God in all your ways? If it's a mental thing that we just try and do out of, because we're supposed to, a feeling like that, we're never going to achieve that. But what he did is he said, Lord, I love you. Give me a greater revelation of who you are. And that was his focus day to day. And if you do that, then you're actually going to end up acknowledging him in all your ways. I think that's the key. It's the, it's the how and the why of how to achieve this. And the bigger the comprehension you have of God's love, the bigger the revelation he gives you of how big and how amazing he actually is, the more you'll be able to give that back to God as well. The more you'll be able to acknowledge him. One thing Brother Lawrence said was, um, don't put anything in the way of your relationship with God. Um, and he actually ended up feeling guilty about this in his monastic life. He um, was surrounded by people who had all given their lives, dedicated it to serving God and to growing and maturing in their faith. And they had all these complicated formulas and devotional times and ticking the boxes and doing this and doing that in terms of how to approach God and how to mature themselves. And he shortcutted all that. All he did was said, Lord, I focus on you. I love you and I want to serve you and I want to be aware of your presence every day. And he actually ended up feeling guilty that he'd shortcutted and not done all the stuff that he was supposed to do. He felt like he'd cheated uh, the process a little bit. But that's all God wants. It's not a complicated faith, this faith that we live. It's a simple faith. There's sort of two stages. There's uh, your conversion. There's giving your life to God. And then there's the next 30, 40, 50 years after that. And he concentrated on getting that presence of God in his spirit, wherever he was, whatever he was doing. And I'm not saying devotionals aren't valuable. They are. Even Jesus, the Son of God, as often as he was able, he would retire to a quiet place and uh, pray and, and spend some time with God. But I guess what I'm saying is let's break down the barrier of those times. Let's actually bring God's presence and awareness of God into our, all of our lives, not just in those times that we've set apart for him. It's not just when we're alone in a room that God wants a piece of us. He wants all of us. He wants us to acknowledge him in all our ways, whether we're at work, whether we're at home, shouting at the kids. Uh, that's quite often in my house. But, uh, you know, it doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter what we're doing. God wants us to be present with him and to have that relationship with him in those times. And he doesn't value our church time, our devotional time, any more than the rest of our lives. He wants to be with us whether we are working, whether we're praying, whether we're uh, making sandwiches for the kids, 
whatever it is, that time is equally valuable to God. It's equally holy. Um, and it doesn't matter. We don't have to be a missionary overseas in order to connect with God's love. We can just have that motive, that focus of being with him in our day-to-day lives. And that's all he requires of us. It actually doesn't matter what we're doing. So that's acknowledging him in all our ways. Second half of that verse, he will make our paths straight. And what does that mean? Well, I think it means he'll make our paths straight. (laughs) There's another version that says he will direct our paths. So our paths is our journey. That's our life journey that we're on. And it's not all going to be flat and sort of easy, rose-colored glasses, that kind of thing. God's going to take us through some valleys and some mountaintops. And I guess in the hard times, when we're in those valley experiences, he doesn't promise us that he's going to take us off that path and put us on another path. What he's saying here is that he's going to be with you, alongside you in your journey, and he's going to give you the strength to carry on through that experience. He's there with us. He's guiding us every step of the journey. And I think that's a promise that God will give us the ability to do anything that he's asking us to do if it's in his will. Making our paths straight, to me, sort of speaks into the fact that he's going to give us the ability to walk that path, to um, not tempt us more than we can bear or put us through experiences that we can't actually handle. He's going to be there with us. And a good example of that was a lady called Corrie Ten Boom, who was a a Jewish um, girl who went through the concentration camps in Nazi Germany. Um, She lost most of her family there. And after the war, she met one of her German Nazi jailers who had inflicted a lot of pain and suffering on her. And when she met him, she was physically repulsed by the guy. But he'd become a Christian after the war, and he was standing there before her asking her to forgive him for the wrongs that he'd done to her. And there was nothing in her that could have done that. But God gave her the strength to shake his hand and say, I forgive you, brother. And it took every fiber of her being to do that. Um, It's this kind of standard of acknowledging God in all our ways. But God gave her the strength to um, achieve that. God gave her the strength to let go and let forgiveness into her heart for that man. Making your paths straight, it's not a promise that God won't have those valleys. But he does say in Romans 8 verse 28, that God will work together for our good in those things. That verse doesn't say that God will bring everything. He's not the one who inflicts suffering or pain on us. Uh, We live in a fallen world, but he does promise us that in those times when it's tough, he's going to use that experience for our good. He's going to lead us into a new season when it's over, and we know we can trust in him that he's going to use that experience, use whatever it is that we're going through for our maturity, for our walk, for our good. And I think the key to that, which is easier said than done, is knowing and discerning God's will in that situation. Um, It could be a request for healing or something that you're going through. If we enter into that and we don't know whether it's God's will for us to be healed or for us to go through that valley experience and to be refined and sharpened and, and sort of improved, then we can't really pray and ask for that forgiveness and know that it's going to be answered. 
But if we can discern his will, if we know that God wants us to break through and to persevere in that situation, that in turn gives us the faith to make that prayer and to have the faith that he'll deliver it from us. And we can always pray, but if we don't know his will in advance, then it's really a blunt, blunt trauma sort of prayer. We're just saying, God, heal me. God, save me. God, deliver me from this financial situation that I'm in. And that's valid. That's cool. That's where we're at. But we don't know in our hearts at that point whether or not God's going to bring us through it unless we have first discerned his will for that situation. Maybe it is his will for us to pray and yield to God and give that to him and therefore for him to deliver us from it. And that's great. Maybe it's not though. Maybe he's sharpening something, some rough edges in our spirit and we need to go through that valley experience in order for us to enter the next stage of our lives. The only way to really know is to know the presence of God, to know the will of God in our day-to-day life. Verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. The irony of that, I guess, is that the more you grow closer to God, the closer you get to Him and the stronger your relationship is, the more it opens up the danger of thinking of yourself more than you ought. Um, Paul mentions in... Uh, let me just find the verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about the thorn in his side. Now he was a man of God, he was an amazing apostle that was really connected with God, but listen to what happened to him. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations that I'd received, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. So he was a guy who was trucking on, he was a man of God, in some ways the head of the church, but God, because of all this revelation that he'd given him, God had to put a thorn in his side to prevent him from becoming too big for his boots, to prevent him from going too far in terms of the things that God had blessed him with. And this verse speaks into that, don't be wise in your own eyes. But I think there's a danger of being too wise, but also being too unwise, to thinking of ourselves as more than we should, but also to think of ourselves as less than we should. Um, there are absolutes in the Christian faith, like loving God, trusting in Him. He says, with all your heart, give that 100%. But in terms of how we look at ourselves, it's not 100%. It is if you're pure, but there is a danger of going too far and becoming full of pride or, or conceit. And as Paul mentioned in this verse, he was given that verse so that he wouldn't get too big for his boots. Do not be wise in your own eyes. The second half of the verse says, fear the Lord and shun evil. Now the fear of the Lord there is not a negative thing. It's about respect and awe and yielding to the bigness of God and to his will. It's not fear as we think about it today. It's actually having that respect and that love and that context of who we are and how we fit into God's world. And those three words, fear the Lord, that could actually be a verse to live by for this year, just in that. Um, Living and meditating on the bigness of God and how huge he is and all the blessings that he's given us. You could spend your whole life uh, working on that and you probably wouldn't get to the end. Um, I went to a Bible college a lot of years ago, and it was about half an hour through the first theology class that I realized, well, this God, he's too big to even comprehend. 
um, his omnipresence, his all-powerfulness, everything that he is, we can't even conceive of that with our human minds. But luckily, he comes to us. He comes down to our level and gives us a little bit more, a little bit more revelation of who he is and how big he is if we ask him. So fear the Lord. The second half of that, shun evil, sounds, ev- sounds pretty simple on the surface. But, um, you know, there's Satan, there's Hitler. Um, the Pharisees was a big one in the New Testament. Um, Jesus really ripped into them at one point. He called them a brood of vipers. And they were the religious leaders of the day in his community. But they were putting rules and obligations between people and their relationship with God. And that really racked him up. He came and said, you cannot put these things in between people's relationship with God. They need to know the kingdom of heaven in their hearts and approach God directly without having to dot all these I's and cross all these T's. So that's the easy to spot evil. But what about stuff like sunny weather and uh, computer games and lemon meringue pie? For me, those are temptations. Um, Preparing for a sermon, if it's sunny outside, I want to go and play with the kids outside. Maybe that's not what I should be doing with my time at that point. Computer games or, or Netflix movies, the number of times I've said to Joe, I'll just watch a little bit more of this movie and then I'll come to bed. I'm a finisher. I'll keep going for the next two hours and you'll see me at 2.30 because I can't leave something half done. Uh, lemon meringue pie, that's one of my two equal favouritest desserts. If you're fasting and someone puts some of that in front of you, it's going to be pretty tricky to maintain that state of spiritualness. I don't know if you're allowed like a a break from a fast. I don't quite know if that's what God's intended. But that's temptation, you know. That's the sort of things that take us away from God if that's the stage of life that we're at, if that's what we're trying to do. So fear the Lord and shun evil. God often chooses the worst of sinners to display the power of his grace as well. If we jump back to those verses with um, Paul with the thorn in his flesh, He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So if you're in one of those valley experiences and you can't see a way out, have faith that God's going to use that for good, as we covered earlier. Paul persecuted the church, he killed Christians, but God rescued him. He gave him a revelation of Jesus himself on the road to Damascus, and from that point, He completely flipped around, and he was great in the church because of that motivation, because of those things that he'd done in the past, that gave him a better understanding of God's grace, a better thankfulness of everything that God had done for him, and then enabled him to do great things in the church. So take courage if you're in a hard time. God will use that for good. Brother Lawrence was even surprised that there wasn't more sin in the world compared to uh, what, he, what he was experiencing, given that people were living apart from God, given that they were in charge of their own way. But for us as Christians, if we want to be effective for him, this is what we need to do. We need to fear the Lord, have that reverence for him, and shun evil. And then we move to the blessing. God promises that if we do these things, it will bring health to our body and nourishment to our bones. And I think the key to that really is stress and worry. If we carry that within ourselves, 
it's eventually going to wear us down and have a physical effect even on our health. Um, but if we give it to God, if we say to him, Lord, you're on this journey with me, you're walking the path with me, I don't need to fear, I don't need to worry about what's next. If you can give those things to God and release yourself from that stress and from that worry, then God's going to bring you health to your body. It's kind of the difference if you're young and you're stressed, people probably can't really tell you've got a nice youthful face and you'll get away with it. But if you carry that stress through your life, you'll get two sets of wrinkles. You'll get the happy wrinkles, which I'm working on, or the, the frown wrinkles, which I'm also working on. And you end up with a face that shines the love of God through it, or a face that is worn down by the cares of the world. And it's up to us about whether we give that stress and that worry to God or whether we carry it in ourselves. And I'm sure you guys have met some people who just have the, the Spirit of God bubbling out of themselves. They're at a point where they know who they are in God and they've given their life to Him and you can just tell that there's something about them that's different. That's, that's where I want to get to. That's what I want to work towards this year and probably for the rest of my life. Be a person who seeks the presence of God in every aspect of their life. Because to be honest, it's much easier to walk the paths that we walk if he's with us in that. All right, I don't think anyone fell asleep. I'll just conclude by reading again those verses in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. And I guess for me, reviewing that, having something to live by, to aim towards, it all comes down to what's going to be on my tombstone. Is it going to say, here's a man who got along with most people most of the time? That's not really what I want. I want a tombstone that says, here lies a man who lived his life with God. And, um, We'll go on that journey. So thanks for your time. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I just thank you that you are big enough and powerful enough to give us promises that will not be broken. And Lord, in these verses, you speak about the commitment you require from us, which we will fail at from time to time, but you're a good God. You reveal yourself to us, your goodness to us, and you won't let us fall in those times of hardness or in those times of joy. I just pray for each of us that you'd give us more trust in you and help us to acknowledge you in all of our ways, Lord, as we go about this week. Just teach us and call us deeper into you, Lord. Give us a better revelation of your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.